Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 27 minutes to 9, the time. Time for your Mediated Conversation this Tuesday morning. About 18 months ago, you might have called a conversation about fast fashion here on SAFM. The rise of a Chinese online retail group called Shane. Fast fashion works in a model in which companies will make a limited range of clothes that people will only wear a few times before you move on to a new set. In other words, it's fashion that moves very quickly. These clothes are very cheap and obviously, I suppose, very trendy. However, for South Africans, a company like Shane is able to undercut our companies. It means that no one here can compete. Now, it seems another Chinese company called Temu could actually provide the same kind of clothes for cheaper prices than Shein. In other words, it would seem that the world of fast fashion is becoming cheaper and quicker. More of our companies, as a result, could find themselves unable to compete. So what's happening in the world of fast fashion and in online shopping? And what impact will this have on our textile industry? First, Nicola Cooper is a trend analyst and cultural expert, works with major retailers around the country. Then, the continued rise of online retail. Supumale Lezondi is the expert, uh, is an SABC TV presenter and expert on all things technical. He'll also explain what happens when Amazon comes and if they're going to compete in this market. Bronwyn Wilkinson is a trend translator at Flux Trends. He'll explain how all of this is changing and also the economics of it. And finally, the impact of all of this in our industry. Simon Eppel was the South African Clothing and Textile Workers Union. We start then with Nicola Cooper, the trends analyst. Nicola, good morning and thank you for your time. Good morning and thank you for having me. How does fast fashion work? So fast fashion, I'll try and get it in a nutshell, is um, really high turnaround, high trend. I think in some of these sites, they can replicate something on a red carpet or on a runway within 24 hours, if not less. Um, And then really given at, I guess, affordable or even highly discounted prices. So it is something that's very, very fast moving. It does require really low costs, um, you know, in terms of workforce and things like that. And that's really sort of the driver of fast fashion is what we refer to as imitation versus differentiation. So what you see on the runway will be imitated. Therefore, what you see on the runway again will be a shift from that. And that's really one of the key drivers of fast fashion. Is it beginning to move more quickly than it did? I mean, I know it's been around for a few years, but is it moving faster now? Yes, it is moving faster. I think, you know, that's just with the the rapidly changing landscape of technology, social media, e-commerce. So there is a lot going on on those platforms that are really, really driving the fast fashion realm. It's also accessibility and choice, um, where South African consumers were really limited to our own retailers, um, you know, from a geographical perspective. And what the internet and e-commerce has done is opened up all those geographical boundaries. With like 48.5% of South Africans making online purchases weekly, that's an astronomical amount. Nearly half the population is buying online every week. Yes, yes. That's half the population, not half the value. Half the population. Really? Yes. In fact, we, um, we're we actually leading global internet usage 
we're spending about um, an average of like nine hours and 24 minutes online. Um, and most of that, because we are sort of a mobile first landscape, 57.6% uh, of that is via mobile. Sure. I'm yes. still amazed that it's nearly half are buying online. Okay. Um, could this speed up? In other words, you get to a point where people are wearing a set of clothes uh, once, maybe twice. I think it's just the longevity aspect is not really necessary when it comes to to trends um, because it really is about fulfilling that seasonal moment. It doesn't have to last more than six months. Um, but I also think it really is in the what I've referred to as a democratization of trends. You know, fashion has always been positioned as a little bit of an elite um, sort of space. And what that does is it allows accessibility to, to trends that are more affordable and more centered around price-sensitive um, consumers. And I think that's really a, around the, the fact that, you know, those aspirations of feeling trendy or fashion-forward don't expire mm. <laughs> when you're looking at a, a price-sensitive consumer. And they also deserve to feel you know, and look beautiful and on trend and fashion conscious. So I think a lot of that is also driving the adoption rates of these trends. Does this affect um, one gender's clothes more than the other? Um, I think it's really across the board, but obviously females do um, sort of change and are almost demanded by society to be a little bit more fashion forward, a little bit more sort of, um, it's really centered around visuals more so than um, sort of the male population. So, you know, it's also female fashion is a lot more complex than, sure. than men's wear. So you, you're predominantly seeing it in female wear. But I think, you know, in terms of um, aspects like sneaker trends and things that are really highly trend-driven for men, we're starting to see an increase there as well. Nicola Cooper, thank you. Trends analyst and cultural strategist. 20 minutes now to Nanyo Mediator conversation around fast fashion. Continues. See Pumalela Zondi is the presenter of Network on the SABC News Channel and also a lecturer in the subject. See Pumalela, good morning. Thanks for your time once again. Hello, how are you, Stephen? And thank you for inviting me. So we've seen online shopping growing in South Africa. I didn't realize that nearly half the population are actually buying things online. It's growing very quickly. Oh, that's where I disagree with Nicolette, because the business report has um, online shopping in South Africa at about uh, 6% at the moment and um, to grow to about, uh, I believe, 9% in the year 2027. So it can't be half the population also because uh, of our connectivity issues um, and all those things. And remember that it's a, um, a wide spectrum of shoppers. Uh, so mm. it definitely wouldn't be uh, half the population. But that's where I disagree with Nicolette. The business report has us at about 6% uh, to grow to about 9% um, in the year 2027. You'd also need credit cards to do it, really. Um, you need you need credit cards. So there are other platforms, but a lot of them are not easy to use um, in South mm. Africa. I think PayPal, for example, 
example, it, it is available rather, um, but it's more used um, in the United States than it is here. Um, so with all the technologies that you need, um, and also um, when you then were to look at the number of South Africans, look at the unemployment rates, how many people would be appro- approved of uh, for credit cards rather, um, and all those things. So it is more complex. So um, maybe it is uh, 50% of a certain demographic, mm. but definitely not 50% of the entire population. Okay. We've had Sheen. We have Temu. We're expecting Amazon. Are they going to compete in the fashion space as well? Do we even know what they're actually going to do here yet? Well, we're not sure what um, Amazon is going to be competing in yet, uh, but they are to launch this year um, in, in South Africa. Um, but um, it, it should be in just about every product as they are um, overseas. Um, and uh, Xi'an um, is purely fashion. Um, and Timu, which is uh, relatively new in the South African market, um, is uh, selling just about every kind of product from fashion to um, technology and everything in between um i would imagine the competition in the online space is going to get really really intense so uh, that means that things get cheaper people can can sort of compare and contrast much more easily than they can than they used to be able to by going to the store are consumers definitely benefiting from this and i suppose if they didn't they wouldn't spend so much time online um, I would say the benefit is on price, right? Um, because with the Chinese uh, e-commerce platforms like uh, Xi'an and uh, Timo, prices tend to be lower than they are on other platforms. And um, I, I suppose in South Africa, there's a problem that has also been raised um, abroad as well. I know it's a big talking point in the United States. It's become a talking point in South Africa as well. The fact that these Chinese e-commerce platforms um, are basically making use of a tax law that says if you shop below a certain amount of money or if products uh, cost below a certain amount of money, um, then they don't have to pay tax on those products. Uh, whereas um, physical stores have to bring products in in bulk. Um, and as they bring them in in bulk, then they would have to pay that tax, which then is why then uh, their products would cost a lot more because you're not buying one item um, or they're not buying one item at a time. Whereas if you're importing, because that it's basically what it is. You're importing through um, Xi'an or you're importing through Timu, um, you're buying one item at a time and therefore you're getting those tax cuts because it's below a certain amount of money. It also makes it, I presume, difficult for the South African retailers, the online South African retailers, to compete as well. And there are some who are pretty strong in this space. Oh, totally. Um, you would think of uh, Zendo, for example, which has been selling um, clothes for a very long time in South Africa. You think of uh, Take A Lot, but they also, again, would have to import the products if they're bringing them in or have to manufacture the products locally, which means they do have to pay that tax uh, if the product is available in South Africa or kept in South Africa because it should have been brought in in bulk. So it's difficult for them to compete then uh, with the ones that, that don't have to to do that. But then again, with um, Timu, it's also unclear on why they are as cheap as they are, because they pretty much have um, even under, uh, have managed to undercut um, Xi'an. Um, but it could be on 
who's manufacturing the product back in China, how much the person who's manufacturing the product back in China um, um, charging for for their services. Um, and Xi'an has said that they don't make these uh, products themselves. They say they get them from, um, uh, sorry, Timur rather, they say they get them from um, suppliers. And so it's not a conversation they can have. It's suppliers who can have that conversation on how they are able to make it available um, at such a low price. Thanks very much indeed. Sipumalela Zondi is the presenter of Network on the SABC News Channel, as you can hear, an expert in the subject. At quarter to nine, the time immediate conversation around fast fashion continues. Bronwyn Williams is a futurist, economist and business trends analyst. I don't know where I got the Wilkinson from earlier. Not enough coffee this morning. Bronwyn, good morning and thank you for your time. Morning. When we look at how this is changing, one of the key things is that these clothes are really cheap. And this brings us to the question, how can they be so cheap? Yeah, well, uh, there's a couple of things. Firstly, we're not very efficient here in South Africa. This is a reality that we have to work with. And that's fine when we are competing with um, trade moats, where our government has protected our local industry with things like taxes and tariffs. But on international scale, we're just not as efficient and as competitive as other parts of the world that have lower or higher labor productivity rates, that have lower costs in, in the manufacturing process and more efficient supply chains. I was having a conversation this week that people originally thought the problem with distribution here in South Africa is the last mile delivery, but actually we've got problems from the first mile all the way through to the last. Our ports don't work, our rails don't work. (laughs) Everything everything is a little bit slower and a little bit more costly to get from point A to point B here. And the same thing with our actual manufacturing. So we're not particularly efficient. The other reason why these goods are so cheap is because they're undercutting. Like uh, undercutting in that they're even undercutting themselves. Like many of the tech companies that we've seen that have achieved remarkable market dominance, including things like the e-hailing services or like the the, the co-working spaces or co-sharing of property spaces. We all know those sort of platforms. A lot of them have run at a loss-leading model. In other words, they're prepared to take on a loss in order to scoop up market share and drive other, which would have been market-efficient businesses out of the market. So we kind of being squeezed by both sides. On the one hand, you've got compared to very deep pockets that are able to undercut market realities that you're simply not able to do in an economy like our own. On the other hand, we're not particularly competitive. And as your previous guest was saying, our competitive most that we, our government has put in place to protect our inefficient costly industries uh, have a few leaks in them and a few loopholes. Now, of course, our local retailers could have exploited these loopholes too, but they didn't for various different reasons. But the reality is that people have spotted our weaknesses here in terms of efficiency, in terms of pricing, and in terms of price vulnerability, and are taking advantage of that to give our very budget-conscious consumers more of what they want. And that's, of course, the other reality. The middle classes, that's people earning around about 5000 to 20-ish thousand around a month, they have 40% less purchasing power than they did in 2016. So people are definitely looking to save where they can, and it's going to be very hard to try to take that away from the consumer, so it's also the worker here in our country. Uh, this is, 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 in a way, globalization. Someone is going to yeah. spot an economy where people aren't, um, you know, where there's a need, where there's a demand, and they're going to meet that demand, and they're going to do it very cheaply. But, yeah, if you can meet the demand better, you're going to scoop up that market share unless you've got anti-competitive moats that are put in place which is what we've done with most of our industries. Whether you're looking at agriculture, whether you're looking at manufacturing, textiles in particular, we have very kind of um, almost regressive and globalist kind of context, policies, tax policies, 
that essentially protect our local industries and allow us to operate at a less efficient scale than other places in the world, and also protect jobs, which is obviously a critical priority for our government in our particular context chat. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, the laborer, the worker whose job is at risk, is also the consumer who is budget conscious and wanting the best deal. So you kind of have a little bit of a conundrum there. And this is what, what makes economics and economic policy so difficult. Whose rights do you protect, the cash-strapped consumer, or perhaps your local industry that you're really trying to grow? These are very difficult challenges to to articulate and for policymakers to wrap their heads around in a fair way. I mean, surely there's a point below which the price of clothes cannot fall. I mean, and we must be yeah. getting close to that point now. Well, well, that's what I was saying. Like what these what these multinational companies are doing, spotting the weaknesses in our market, is they're prepared to actually sell those clothes at a loss. So they're selling them for less than it's costing them to manufacture and ship in order to kind of squeeze the local competitors out of the marketplace. We simply don't have those reserves. This is anti-competitive behavior, and this is the sort of behavior that we have regulations and tariffs and anti-competitive moats in place exactly in order to defend ourselves against. This can be seen almost as a, as a form of economic warfare. If you're able to sort of sell things at a loss, you, that's, an, that's an aggressive economic move towards another, another nation's economy. Thank you very much indeed. Bronwyn Williams is a futurist economist and a business trends analyst at Flux Trends. In a moment, where we'll hear from the workers. Simon Apple is the head of research at the South African Clothing and Textile Workers Union with SAFM, 10 minutes to 9. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Eight minutes to nine. Continue your mediated conversation around fast fashion. Simon Apple is the director of research at the Southern African Clothing and Textile Workers Union, SACTU. Simon, good morning. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Stephen. Lovely to be with you and morning to your listeners. So we see these international online retailers becoming stronger and stronger. What impact are they having on our clothing manufacturers? Um, Stephen, if I can quickly take a step back before I go there and, and just give a little bit of context, I think Bronwyn's done a really solid job at speaking to the almost economic warfare parts of this, um, the loss leading uh, strategies that are being used. Look, there's another one. If you, uh, There's been a number of really interesting reports over the last couple of years, many of the prestigious newspapers, um, other entities, et cetera, speaking to the kinds of suppliers that produce the goods for the likes of Shein and Temu. And you know, these are very often factories where there are allegations of forced labor, there's allegations um, of, of non compliance in the supply chains in terms of, you know, lower than the uh, minimum wages in China, uh, factories really off the radar, uh, you know, workers working 18-hour days, ending at 3 a.m. in the morning. And in fact, there's some really um, um, interesting anecdotes where even it seems where Xi'an has given up some of its worst suppliers, Temu has taken those on board. So I kind of just want to frame it with that quickly. You know, you, you, you're getting absolutely almost impossible prices coming into a market, number one, through the choice of particular manufacturers who are not playing by the rules in their own country, um, and then um, the kind of export um, and import strategies that they're using, which are not playing by the rules either. Look, it's too soon to say what's going to happen, what is happening with Temu. It's only recently launched here, but you can see already the app usage. This is a highly, highly popular app uh, in the States, for example, you know, it's eating the lunch of Xi'an, but it's eating the lunch of other big um, e-commerce platforms too. In terms of Shein itself, you know, we, we are seeing the loss of market share by some of our major retailers. Um, and what happens is as they lose their market share, 
uh, so our manufacturers lose. Roughly one out of three garments in the country in our retailers, that's at an average level, roughly one out of three garments uh, sold in our big retailers uh, is made in South Africa. So the, the more products uh, they don't sell, the more that go to the likes of Sheehan and Temu, the more we stand to lose in our factories. And, and that's exactly what's happening. So we've got, a, we've got a threat on jobs and factories. But the other factor that plays out is as these almost sort of predatory pricing strategies happen, it puts pressure on our own factories. And so you have a reciprocal response in the manufacturing industry of further downward pressure, further attempts to informalize the industry, further attempts almost to replicate the worst models of China in South Africa. Okay, Simon, uh, there's a lot going on there. And, and let me bring an argument very much from the right just to sort of look at that. You spoke about, you know, that, that Chinese manufacturers don't necessarily play by the same rules. Uh, the argument could come that perhaps we institute the wrong rules. And I know plenty of employers will say to me, well, the issue is that the, 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 the Employment Act makes it harder to hire people that maybe we need to compete with China. I realize, Simon, I'm putting this to you because I know you'll have a strong response to that. Yeah, look, I will have a strong response to it, but it's it's almost not really that necessary. I mean, let me give the headline, which is, you know, we've got a we've got a strong tradition of human rights in the country, which defends and advocates for treating people decently, and and you know, really is the bedrock for a, a set of principles in which we attempt to build our economy on the back of some level of decency. Wages in the clothing industry are horribly. Neither you nor I nor any of your other guests could live off those wages, whether or not, you know, they feel they're too high. Certainly none of the employers who would complain to you could live off those wages. And that's the kind of fact of it. Our wages are in many ways on par with many other countries, including low income, uh, uh, low cost manufacturing countries. It's just the nature of a global competitive world that one employer will complain to you that our wages are too high and we should really pay the same as Lesotho. In Lesotho, they're going to say, hey, we're too high. We must be the same as Madagascar. In Madagascar, they're going to say, hey, we're too high. We must be the same as Myanmar, where there's allegations of forced labor. That's just the nature of the beast. Our attempt is not to replicate the worst of the worst. Our attempt must be to try to develop our own capacity in the areas where we can, with the strengths that we can, you know, using the various tools at our disposal, but surely not to kind of whip and beat our people to the extent that we want to be the worst. Um, a cause for government to intervene, in other words, to change the rules. And some of this seems to be, and I can't believe how big a factor this is, about how the consignment or the clothes are actually delivered to the country and the size of the shipment. In other words, if it's above a certain size or below a certain size, you pay a very different kind of duty. It's about the value of it. How could we change that? Would that work? Uh, yeah, so at the moment, Stephen, um, you know, we've got the equivalent of, I don't know if you know the the old stories of the knocker-ups. You know, 100 years ago or so, your alarm clock wasn't a device by your bed. It was a human who knocked on your window in some parts of the world. And I'll import rules on some of these matters. It's the de minimis rule that's um, what one of your guests spoke about, certain goods under a certain threshold, and a gift rule that's, you know, your auntie used to send you something from overseas, you know, a couple of times a year. Those rules are really antiquated. They don't meet the, meet the kind of needs and dynamics of a modern economy. Certain they don't, certainly, they never anticipated the likes of e-commerce. So, so we think there are spaces to do this. I mean, our, our call would be to get rid of the de minimis rules and the gift rules entirely or have exemptions where we, we carve out 
um, that you can't you can't uh, use these rules for clothing and textiles. But I want to point to something. You know, clothing and textiles traditionally has always been like the canary in the coal mine. It's a warning of something coming in other sectors. We saw that in the 2000s when clothing and textiles struggled, and other sectors looked on and said, "Oh, you're so uh, uncompetitive." And then the likes of glass and plastics and tires and even cement started to struggle. What we're struggling with at the moment is going to happen in other sectors. In fact, your one of your earlier guests spoke to the fact that Temu isn't just doing clothing. It's doing a whole range of things, electronics, tools, stationery, et cetera. And, and we need to be thinking really proactively about defending and advancing our entire economy. It's not just a clothing and textiles issue. We would start quite simply with amending the rules around de minimis and gifts, but, but then that can't be sufficient. There's got to be work on developing our local value chains, essentially bringing scale, volume and value to our domestic economy. Thanks. Thank you very much indeed. Simon Eppel is the head of research at the South African Clothing and Textile Workers Union, runs their textile research unit. My thanks also to Bronwyn Williams, the trend translator at Flux Trends. Sipumalela Zondi is the presenter of Network and an expert here in the SABC News Channel. And starting us off today, Nicola Cooper, the trend analyst and cultural strategist. Well, fast fashion, I hope you're a kind of up to speed, thinking of fast. Uh, there's going to be a lot of news uh, moving through the day, as always. You'll hear all of that happening for you on SAFM. Don't forget preparations as well, of course, for the budget tomorrow.